always feels kind of weird to worry about the power play in Pittsburgh, but it actually could be a pretty pivotal point in the coming NHL season. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into football and or baseball, I also offer Daily Shots of Steelers and Pirates where you found this. The Penguins power play this past season, it's a little bit tough to gauge because there was the early chunk where there was no Sid, no Geno, and it was a struggle just to even generate zone time. Then they came back. Things got pretty good for a while. Then they got really good for a little while. And there just wasn't really that whole season-long rhythm that you're looking for. And as a result, they finished 19th in the NHL with a 20.2% conversion rate. That's okay. You know, it's below average, but again, there's context for it. Here's the thing. In this season, the one that's coming up, it's got to be top 10. I really believe that. If you go back to other teams that have competed for the cup with an older core, even one with that older core, they've done it in large part because of the power play. The power play does involve skating. The power play does involve, you know, being fast, being quick, and all those things that are more natural to youngsters. But it's way, way, way more about smarts, execution, and experience. Put another way, not that I ever put anybody in Mario Lemieux's bracket, but when 66 came back, he was eating people alive on the power play without barely budging. He just kind of parked himself off to the left side, sometimes even down between the circle and the goal line, and set himself up either for impossible angle one-timers or just to completely destroy other teams' boxes. My point is, he didn't have to move all that much. And for a broader example, go back to the Red Wings from 11, 12 years ago, the ones who faced the Penguins twice in the final. Look at the guys that they had out there. Even the Red Wings from earlier that decade, they were mostly older, but they really, really knew what they were doing. Well, this power play in Pittsburgh needs to hit that phase. They need to find their red wing dumb. If you think about who's going to be on it, my goodness, you're still talking about Sidney Crosby, Jake Gensel, Brian Rust up front, Chris Letang and Evgeny Malkin on the points. We can have all kinds of fun speculating as to who's actually going to be on PP1, but that's who it's going to be, okay? There's not any surprises here. You're not going to see... Uh, Ricard Raquel, for example, would probably be the next guy that you'd want to see be part of that. He's just not going to be. So it's these guys, these five, who need to figure it out, along with, of course, Todd Reardon, who runs the power play, and Mike Sullivan. This portion of Daily Shot of Penguins is brought to you by the good people at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, where they're committed to providing food for all of our neighbors in need across western Pennsylvania. They, in turn, need your help. Find out how $1 can be turned into five full meals. For those in need, visit pittsburghfoodbank.org.
Now, does this mean that there's something I'd change or something I'd uh, try to rework or realign? Yeah, to an extent. You also have to understand that you're working, in this case, with pieces or people who've been at this for a while and who've been largely successful. I don't think you could ever look at, uh, in particular, the two superstars, Sid and Gino, and say that they've been you know, over-the-top elite performers on the power play over the course of their careers. I, I don't believe that they have, but they've put up a lot of points. And that's not something that you want to unravel by having them try something that they've never tried before. So I think it's more a matter of modification or an emphasis on, I don't know, maybe just a new element. When we throw one at you here, how about Sid and one-timers? How about Sid and one-timers? If you think about the way this lines up, generally, Jake's going to hang out at the front of the net. We don't think of him as a net front guy because, you know, he's not all that big. But he's actually pretty good there, especially when it comes to tips, deflections, rebounds, and so forth. So Jake goes there. A lot of times Brian Rust goes there as well, although he's more of the retrieval guy, the way Chris Kunitz was, meaning somebody misses a shot and it kind of starts wrapping around the boards. Rust is the one who goes and gets it, collects it, and makes something else happen. He's become kind of the Phil Kessel rover, and he's been good at it. He's shown a terrific instinct for it, along with hands and machinations I didn't think he'd ever have, but that's to his credit. The other three, well, that's a little different. You're not moving Latang around. He's going to be on the right point. You're really not moving Gino. He has made himself a home on that left point. He has the biggest shot of anyone on that power play. He knows how to get it off from that side. And by the way, he also knows how to occasionally flip the script between him and Latang, and he'll put himself on that offside so he can get the one-timer off. Now, 87, that's where I think there might be something here. You might remember that later in the season, Sid would set himself up atop that right circle, and he got off some pretty decent shots. He scored a couple of goals from over there. As well, I'm not saying this as if it's some big surprise. He's Sidney Crosby. I am saying it as if it's something that could become a more concentrated focus of this power play. We do see a lot of teams, not just Washington, the one that comes to mind, set up somebody for that shot. Now, I, I don't want to make fun of Evan Rodriguez for having been that guy early in the season because Evan actually got some pretty good results in the first half from being that trigger guy, so much so that Sullivan and Reardon were using him even later in the year and into the playoffs occasionally just to throw him out there on that left side to present that threat. You want that threat. You want that PK box to constantly worry about what's happening behind them or on the other side. And to have that be Sid on that right side, just something to think about. When we come back, J1Q. And today's J1Q 
come from Chad Hess, who asks, Hey DK, the absence of Evan Rodriguez from any NHL roster is interesting. What are the chances that the Penguins would give him another chance? You know, Chad, I, I happen to feel like Rodriguez would still be a pretty good fit, and not just because of the crazy first half that he had last season that I referenced in the opening segment. I feel like there's a lot of different things that he does well that can contribute to the bottom six being generally more dynamic, more productive, more active, less passive, to put it another way. One thing about Evan is when he gets churning, which he's doing most of the time, he's on the puck and it becomes his. That doesn't mean he's always super elegant once he's got it. And it certainly doesn't mean he's got elite skill level, but we've also seen him do things that make you go, whoa, didn't know he had that in him. Certainly from the standpoint of finishing the way he did over the first 40 games. And let's, by the way, not forget that he should have been the guy who sent the Penguins to the next round, given the massive goal he scored at Madison Square Garden in Game 7, only to have that all unravel in a third period. Now, the fact that no one has signed him yet to an NHL contract would lead one, logically, to deduce that he hasn't been offered anything that's significant of an NHL-only term, which means he might have to settle for a two-way. And that's got to be a little bit tough to stomach after all the goals that he scored in the first half, but then everybody also saw the second half in which he couldn't do a blessed thing. Do the Penguins need him? No. Can the Penguins afford him? No, they can't afford anyone right now. Remember, they're technically still over the cap, even though there are some ways that they could sneak under it if the season were to have to start tomorrow without trading defensemen or anything like that. I still believe they're going to trade one of Marcus Pedersen, Brian Dumoulin, way more likely to be Pedersen. But Marcus isn't going to open you up to getting some kind of superstar forward either. And as a result, someone like Evan does look like they could be in play. Uh, you could bring him in, I guess, on a tryout, kind of the way Brian Boyle came in and obviously made himself a pretty nice niche over the course of a full winter. Or Evan could just say, you know what, I'll come back on the two-way and prove myself all over again, and there's no way they'll send me down to Wilkes-Barre. But no, there's nothing, nothing, nothing uh, in the pipeline or that I'm hearing to support the idea that the Penguins are actively going after Evan Rodriguez to bring him back. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We'll do another one of these tomorrow. Tomorrow.